got a lot of good things going on in the congregation. And sometimes we don't think of those. Uh, we don't notice those. And we get so busy with our life. And, you know, besides that, we just don't know. Uh, so sometimes I think it's good to let us know. And you know what? He walked in just on cue. Glenda and I got to go see Caleb Pietela, yes, Caleb, you, <laughs> uh, perform in his middle school musical, Aladdin the Musical. And uh, it was just so fun to watch him do that. It's, it's great to see our kids excel in whatever they're doing. And uh, Glenda and I were just really thrilled to be able to do that. Another thing that's happened with one of ours in our congregation is, uh, I don't know if you've heard it yet or not, but Caitlin Hudspeth has a new job, big promotion, and we're really proud of you and, and happy for that happening in your life. And there's another thing happening. Frank Scipani, who led our Lord's Supper comments this morning, here in what, less than a month now? A little over a month now, is going to receive his Master's in Ministry from Heritage Christian University. And so we're really uh, proud of that. Of all of you, all of you have done wonderful. And uh, I think it's, it's good to know that. It's good to be able to celebrate with one another when we have joys in our life. Uh, as we do, you know, console one another and pray for one another when we have struggles. So it's a, it's a wonderful life that the Lord has given us that we can share together. Uh, those ups, those downs, those in-betweens, it's all good because uh, God is with us. So just wanted to let you know about that good news. Well, here we are. The Sunday before Easter. Today we're, in a sense, following Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem. And we are entering into that last week of Jesus' ministry before his crucifixion. Jesus enters Jerusalem in what is often called the triumphant entry. People who have followed him, especially from Bethany, where he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. They are following along with him. They're, they're excited. And as he comes up to the city of Jerusalem, he's placed on a colt, and he rides into the city. And as he rides, they place their cloaks on the road before him to, in a sense, pave his way. And they hold up the palm branches, and they're shouting the traditional royal welcome as he comes along, and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now, they were excited, but the leaders of the Jews were disturbed. This isn't exactly what they wanted to hear. You see, Rome doesn't take kindly to people who declare or even are declared king, unless they had a role in doing it. So they come to Jesus, and they say, get your followers under control. And we know his reply is, if I told them to stop, even the rocks would cry out, joy. And the people were excited, weren't they? They wondered, could this Jesus be the Messiah? Could he be the one? Could all their long, bottled-up hopes and dreams be about to burst forth as Jesus establishes the promised kingdom of God by his son, David? The importance of this event is seen in the fact that it is recorded in 
each one of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, often called the Synoptic Gospels, share 50 to 90 percent of the same stories about the life of Christ. The Gospel of John, however, shares only 10 percent of this material with the other Gospels. 90 percent of the Gospel of John is unique to it alone. So when all four of these Gospels line up, it's some important stuff. And I've given some thought about why this event was so important that the Spirit inspired all four Gospels to include it. I think part of it is because when it comes right down to it, this was like a royal coronation. The people were saying, yay, the king is coming, the king is coming, all is going to be better. But this coronation did not exactly turn out as they had planned it. Their expectation was that Jesus would, right then and there, usher in God's reign over Israel and the rest of the world. They were looking for a conquering king. And instead, they got a suffering servant. They were looking for King David dancing in front of the ark as he entered in the city of Jerusalem. And instead, they got the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and other parts of Isaiah dying in Jerusalem. It wasn't exactly what they were looking for. They were looking for worldly privilege and power. Remember James and John's mother who came up to Jesus and said, let my son sit on your right and on your left hand in your kingdom. That's what they were looking for. Christ instead showed them spiritual power through weakness, suffering, and death. No, this coronation did not turn out exactly as they had planned. And so I think it's pretty clear that after the resurrection, the Spirit and these writers wanted the church and the future generations to know and to understand the difference between what was expected and what came. The Lord they serve does not call us to bring the kingdom of God into fruition in this world through coercion or political means. Instead, he seeks to bring his kingdom in via the lives that are lived humbly in him and that are being transformed into his image daily. Now, this is hard for us to understand because we're so earthly. I mean, we have such a stake here. It's all we've ever known. Everything else we have to take by faith. And we are attracted to this life. And we are attracted especially to those elements of life that are considered the high life, the good life. Power, the privilege, prestige. We are so enticed and enchanted by it that we become like the cobra and we start, you know, the dance as the cobra handler plays his flute. What a dangerous dance it is. We can't allow it to let us seduce us and draw us into its poisonous embrace. Yet I see this happening all the time. I hear it when many Christians today preach a gospel that seems to say that Christians are royalty. There's some truth in that statement, isn't there? We're sons and daughters of the king. There's some truth there. But then they go on and, they, and, and say that they should also live royally in this life. And you can see that 
Just watch them on TV. The gilded furniture, the fancy clothes, the jewelry. They preach a humble Savior, but they don't imitate his example. I also see it in the push for a political Christian win at whatever cost. You know, Jesus made it clear that his kingdom was not of this It is in it, but it is not of it. He hasn't called us to a crown and a throne. He's called us to a crown of thorns. That's the call he's given us. When we allow the name of Christ to be associated with ideologies or individuals that are in clear contradiction, to the Christian message, I think we have crossed that line of being in to being of the world. We've let the ends justify the means and polluted the name of our Savior in a world by the associations that we keep. We have slipped over from trusting in God alone to trusting in our strength. By the way, I'm not saying that we should all go out and buy robes and you know, walk around with sandals on. I'm not saying that. It's okay to get dressed up. It's all right. But whatever you wear, it should be to the glory of God, first and foremost. And I'm not saying that Christians should not get involved in the political systems and rights that we have as citizens of this or any other country in the world, as long as we use them as Jesus would have used them. What is wrong is saying, if you follow Christ, you are guaranteed to be blessed with earthly possessions. You are guaranteed to be blessed with power. You are guaranteed to be blessed with earthly prestige. Possessions, power, prestige, an unholy trifecta. Jesus didn't promise that. So why do we think we should expect? Jesus promised persecution. He promised the division of families, hatred in the world. As we read in Isaiah 53, he came to be a suffering servant, not a conquering king. And yet many Christians seem intent upon ruling rather than serving. You know, the kingdom, the king of of the universe forsook his divine right so that we might be lifted up with him. He gave up the kingdom of heaven so that we could gain entrance into the kingdom of God. He lived a humble life so that we could be adopted into the royal family. But this kingdom and this family are not like the earthly analogs. In this kingdom, the first are last. The last are first. In this kingdom, the family, all the children, are welcomed and valued, but also held to high standards. And that standard is service to God by serving others. Instead of privilege, power, and prestige, we are called death, brokenness, humility. Quite a contrast 
from what our world seems to be saying. See, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He did not seek earthly power, but rather trusted in His Father in heaven to glorify Him. And folks, if we will seek Him, if we will follow His example, if we are obedient to His will, yes, even if that means suffering, even if that means giving up our rights, well then, we too will be glorified by our Father in heaven. What did Peter say? We will humble ourselves for the mighty hand of God. He will lift us up. Francis Chan tells a story of how over the course of two weeks, two different guest speakers that had come to his church gave credit to their former youth minister, a guy by the name of Vaughn, for inspiring them to share the gospel with others. Yep. They had even gone through that church at the same time and were in the same youth group together. What's the chance of that happening, to have two different speakers come in and, and, and bring up the same guy? Well, the next week, another guest speaker came in, a guy by the name of Dan, to tell Chan's church about his ministry, a rescue mission in the city of L.A. After Dan's talk, Francis kind of came up to him and casually mentioned to him that their prior two speakers had mentioned how much of an impact their youth minister, Vaughn, had had on them. And Dan looked up in surprise at Chan, and he said, I know Vaughn. <laughs> he leads a church in San Diego now, and he takes people into the dumps in Tijuana, where kids are picking through garbage. I was just with Vaughn. We would walk into the city, and these kids would run up to him, and he would show such deep love and affection for them. He'd hug them, and he'd have gifts for them, and food for them. He'd even figured out how they could get showers. Dan said to Francis, it was eerie. The whole time I was walking with Vaughn, I kept thinking, if Jesus was on the earth, I think this is what it would feel like to walk with him. He just loved everyone. He ran into, and he would tell them about God. People were just drawn to his love, his affection. And then Dan said this. The day I spent with Vaughn was the closest thing I've ever experienced to walking with Jesus. Think about that. That day was the closest thing he'd ever experienced to being with Christ. So church, let me ask you this. Would anyone be able to say the same thing about spending a day with us? Would they be so touched by the love of Christ shining through us that they would say, it was like being with Jesus. That's what's valuable. That's what's going to make a difference in this world. We can be the wealthiest person on the planet. We can have political power that can break nations. We can be known for our intellect, our wit, our talent, whatever. But folks, that's not our mission. Our mission is to be like Jesus. Our mission is to follow him, just like the writer of Hebrews said, outside of the city gate, to Golgotha, to the cross. To follow him not into fame and fortune, but into humble 
sacrificial service to God. We need to change what motivates us, church. We need to be seeking the will of Christ. We need to will that Christ's will becomes ours. In our scripture reading today, right before the sermon from Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11, we're told that Jesus, even though he existed as God, gave up that existence to become like us. And that we are to follow his example. Jesus was God, but he didn't lay claim to that right. But rather, he gave it up so that others could live, so that we could live. Paul reminds the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, that we, Christians, will one day judge the world. But folks, that doesn't mean that we get to rule it now. It means that we get to serve it. If we are to follow Jesus' example, instead we should give our lives over to sacrificial service so that the world might know Christ and be saved. If we really wanted to follow Christ, we'd try to be more like Vaughn and allow Christ to shine through us so that merely being with us makes them feel they've been Christ. The Christian life is not about seeking that unholy trifecta, prestige, power, privilege. It's not about wealth and possessions. The Christian life is modeled after the life of Christ and is lived in gratitude for what our Lord has done for us. That's what it's all about. And that gratitude is there because of the grace of God that has been extended to us through Jesus Christ. Grace should be our great motivator, not personal or even collective power and wealth. Grace. Some people throw that around like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Can't use it that way because, you see, grace comes with an edge to it. This isn't a cheap grace that we've been given. Yes, it was freely given, but it was given at a great cost. It is received freely, but will give us and then simultaneously cost us everything we have to accept it. In his best-selling book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller shares a story of a woman in his congregation who was learning how the grace extended to us through Christ's work on the cross, can actually become more challenging than religion. And he puts a parenthesis here saying, meaning religious systems of man. He writes, Some years ago, I met with a woman who began coming to church and had never before heard the distinction drawn between the gospel and religion. She had always heard that God accepts us only if we are good enough. She said the new message was scary. And I asked her, Keller said, why was it scary? And she replied, 
If I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done all my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if I'm a sinner saved by grace, then there is nothing that he cannot ask of me. Right up to our very life. Nothing. This woman could see immediately that the wonderful beyond belief teaching of salvation by sheer grace has an edge to it. Crowds were welcoming Jesus as their king, and yet they had no idea what was really happening. They were looking for more miracles and meals. What they found, well, let's just say that didn't meet their expectations. No kingdom as they envisioned it came. Instead, the brutal status quo, the iron fist of Rome, stayed firmly in place. Rather than a coronation, they attended a crucifixion. Not what they'd hoped for. As we contemplate the events that make up this last week of Jesus' earthly existence, let's meditate on these last and most significant teachings and actions of our Lord. And let's determine to lean heavily on his grace, understanding that it is a call not to hedonism, following our own base desires, but a call to holy, li holy living, which relies wholly on God. To live for him alone, no matter what the cost to us is personal. This is our invitation. This is our invitation from Christ to follow him. To give our life to him completely. To commit to follow him wherever he may lead. Even if that's a cross. For church, it is better to be a friend of Jesus than it is to be a friend of the world. Do I hear an amen there? It is better to suffer and die so that you might rise with him. It is better to be a commoner in this world if that means we get to be citizens of the kingdom of God, part of that royal family. It's a lot to think about as we follow Jesus to the cross. And we have to ask ourselves this question. I've asked myself this question. I know you have too. If I were there, if I were at the cross, and I were standing there, would I stay? as the women did, as the Apostle John did? Or would I be like the rest of the apostles, scattered to the wind, in fear of what the world might do to me? Thank God for his grace, his undeserved grace. For we have all, in large ways and small ways, scattered instead of hung in there for Christ. But he still welcomes us back as his prodigals, with open arms, he says, come on. So today, whatever your need is, know that Christ died for you. And he calls you to die to yourself and to live with him and for him. As Christians, that means that we need to, I think occasionally, take stock 
rededicate our lives, determine if the path we are on is truly following Christ or if it's following our own will or, or the way of the world. It's so easy to justify and rationalize. It's harder to obey. If you're seeking the Lord and you want to this day become a disciple of His, we want to encourage you to do that. In Scripture, we are told if we want to come to Christ and be saved, we do that through faith and obedience. Faith in the belief that God gave His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. That His work on the cross, His death there, was so that our sins could be forgiven. That He did die, and then was raised again on the third day. And through that risen life, that resurrected life, we join in Christ with that when we ourselves have died, been buried, and raised again. And that's what baptism symbolizes. I encourage you, if you're ready to take that step, to take that step today. And take the Lord on as your Savior in baptism. If you need more time to study, if you want to just pray about it more, please contact me. I'd love to study with you about that. Because although we're called to great sacrifice, we're also called to share in His greatness. And I would rather share in a greatness that is going to follow me into eternity any day than to follow someone into a greatness that may depend on who's in power the next day or not. Christ will be there for us always. Think about it. The Lord of the universe has called us His friends. And he's invited us to be his brothers and his sisters, his family. Yes, there is a cost. But oh, there is 10,000 blessings. Whatever you need, the invitation is yours as we stand and as we